You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. possible. Yes? It's the trust that something or someone exists. It's the glue of your core relationships in life. It's the fuel that keeps you going when you're not exactly certain what it is that's coming next. And belief, I would say, was at the heart of Herb Brooks's speech to a group of college kids before they played a team that had been unbeaten in decades at the 1980 Winter Olympics. Belief. It was their time. It was their destiny. They were ready. And I think Jesus had a speech that was a whole lot like this. It came in a time where there was doubt and fear and anxiety and uncertainty, and they seemed to be up against an insurmountable set of odds. It comes from John chapter 14, And I'd love to read it for you here today. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to realize this is a radical and exclusive truth claim. And it butts up against all of the other systems of belief and religions of the world. And in fact, that's one of the critiques of Christianity. In a culture of drastic inclusivity, how can you make such a radical, exclusive claim that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life? Don't all religions point us to God? And on this matter, Jesus was incredibly clear, so let's kick off the teaching and spice it up a bit. Jesus was absolutely clear on him being the way, the truth, and the life. Do all religions point us to the same thing or the same God? No. No, they don't. Not even close. I love what Pastor Ben said on Wednesday. If sin isn't all that serious, then salvation isn't all that spectacular. And it seems to me like Jesus went a pretty long way to a hill called Calvary to die on a cross and be raised again from the dead on the third day if this couldn't and he couldn't make such an exclusive and radical claim. But we have to also deal with it. What does it really mean to believe? And what does it mean to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? What do truth and belief even look like? And Brian, you've been talking a lot about truth and belief, so let's go a little deeper today. Truth, I want you to recognize, 
as being the definition we've used for the last couple of weeks. It's uncovering reality as it exists. It's discovering how things are and have been made by God for this creation. I think of the uncovering of truth as being a whole lot like the process of scientific discovery. You test and you verify and you keep processing through until a set of of truths emerge. And, And out of those truths, you come to understand things the way that they really are. And belief is really a product of truth. It's trust in someone or something and giving over ourselves and orienting our lives to that someone or something. And some of you are saying, oh my gosh, Brian, it's 9.55. That's a lot of depth. Uh, It's Sunday and football season's over. Help us out. Well, I think we know this instinctively. In fact, um, medical science might help us a bit. There's something called the grasp reflex. And many of you have experienced the joy of this with your kids or someone else's. You put your finger next to a baby's hand, and before the age of six months, they're immediately going to grasp for it. It's one of the most glorious feelings in the world to watch this little person hold on to you. And I think that's the way that God has made each one of us. There's something deep inside us that's wired to want to grasp onto God, to hold on to someone bigger than we are and recognize that our source of provision and protection comes from that source, that, that being, that God. We're wired this way. Now the struggle is, as we live in this world, we tend to not trust or believe. People hurt us, Yes. I mean, you look at the fabric of this creation, the way that the systems work, it's bred towards distrust. If you see a van that says free candy on the side of it, are you going to walk up to it and say, please, can I step inside and have some? Of course not. Tell me you're awake at least this morning. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, of course not. You're not going to do that. And if if you want to learn a system that breeds distrust, go jump on circle four this afternoon and take a ride a couple times around it. You know? There's so much in the world that breeds distrust, a a lack of wanting to grasp for the other person, a lack of wanting to believe or put trust in someone or something. And we know this instinctively. In fact, people who struggle with this, we we say that they have trust issues. When people have trust issues, they they struggle to create deep relationships. They're always looking for uh, the next shoe to drop, so to speak. They'll only give themselves over so far. Because they've been harmed. And what do we do then with the church, with religion? And recognize that the church, that religion, our fundamental premise is to help people search for God and come to know God so we reach for God and grasp for God. What do we do when that church tends to struggle with its own set of beliefs or promotes ones that aren't even remotely true? Perhaps it's not surprising that we find ourselves in this place in our culture today that people would have trust issues with the church. If we don't know who we are, how then can other people who are hurting or lost or broken know what our faith is really all about? And so trust and this need to believe and the trust issues that are present is a perfect way to understand the context of John chapter 14 because after all, as this passage is unfolding, the chapter before in John chapter 13, the Jesus' uh, Jesus' disciples have watched him ride in on a donkey colt, which Zechariah said, that's the coming of the Messiah. They're ready for the party. 
They've been fighting about who's going to sit on the left and the right. It's going to be great. Jesus, you're going to wipe out the Romans. The temple's going to be a party. It's rock star time. Let's go. And yet he starts talking about dying, and Judas betrays him. And by the end of dinner, he even says to Peter the rock, the first one to believe, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. I mean, that doesn't sound a whole lot like trust or belief. And so what Jesus offers is this amazing speech, this, this amazing speech to his disciples who says, hey, here's the deal. There are three powerful lifesavers I'm going to throw you today. Three reasons to believe. And the first one is John 14, 6 is a powerful truth claim. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it is a powerful truth claim. And it's a needed truth claim, not just for the disciples, but for our world today. Notice what it comes on the heels of in John 14, 1, Jesus says to the disciples who are walking with him as he's walking towards his death, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't have any anxiety, don't be disturbed, don't, don't be distracted, don't be missing the point, don't be spinning, friends, let not your hearts be troubled, because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And the truth is that I'm the way to God. I'm the God who made you. I'm the God who desires you. I have the very life of God in me. I'm all that you need. Don't spin. It looks dark. It's worse than playing the Soviet Union in the 1980 Olympics. It's bad, but don't spin. Don't be troubled. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the God who can do all things. How do we know this? Well, look at the evidence in Jesus' ministry. The incarnation, a profound miracle that God would become a flesh and blood, living, breathing human being and move into our neighborhood. Respectfully, while you all seem great, if I have a choice to leave eternal glory and come hang out with you all, this is not really a hard choice for me to make. And yet, this is the great love of God. Look at the miracles that Jesus does. He heals blind people. He raises people from the dead. He befriends Samaritans and tax collectors and sinners and, and so on and so forth. Why is the way, the truth, and the life? Why shouldn't we be troubled or have anxiety, whatever it is that we face in life? Because Jesus has given us every reason not to, which proves that he's trustworthy and worthy of our belief. But he doesn't stop there. The second lifesaver that he offers us today is this powerful call to believe. Powerful call to believe. Look, look at the words that he shares. Let not your hearts be troubled. Say it with me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This word believe. And, and realize that the word believe doesn't just suggest one time, but repeated, continual action. It's like he wrote this song. To a small town girl living in a lonely world. <laughs> and to a city boy born and raised in South Detroit. To not stop believing. Don't stop believing. Despite what it is that's going on. Despite the anxiety. Despite wondering how is this all going to work out. Don't stop believing. Keep believing. Keep trusting. God is, his greatest desire is that we would remain connected. To keep reaching and grasping for God whatever the circumstances are in our lives. And the third thing that Jesus shares with us here this morning is that it's really an invitation from God's heart. Now listen to what he says. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Now, the way that we tend to read this as modern here is, is, is uh, through the lens of Bill Gaither. And we think about heavenly mansions and so on and so forth. But the image that Jesus is using is very much ancient Israel. And in the ancient world, everything revolved around the father and the father's house. And so as each father's son grew up and took a wife and had children, what the father would do is add on an additional room to the house for that family to continue to dwell there with them, to provide for and and give protection to and, and be in life, to do life with one another. In fact, uh, our archaeology substantiates this. If you go look at the structures in ancient Israel, you'll find a center room with all kinds of rooms that are built onto it. And so what the invitation God gives us here is nothing short of incredible to a group of people who've broken trust with God, who haven't reached or grasped for God. What what Jesus is saying is, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And, And here's the thing, the Father... I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I've built on a room for you. I desire you. I want to adopt you. I want you to be part of my family. I want you. How can we know this is true? Well, in a sea of other religions, no other religion will say to you, I know you're not good enough. I know you get it wrong. I know that you sin." But I'm good enough to forgive you and heal you and invite you in. My greatest desire is to be with you and to do life with you and to live life with you eternally. Such is the heart of God for each one of us. God's greatest desire is that we would reach for him and trust him and believe him and live our lives in light of his existence. Not just now, but for all of eternity. So let's come back to belief in this question. Don't all religions say the same thing? How do we interact with people, more importantly, who hold this idea? Well, let's start with this. One of my favorite theologians says this. Well, I'm going to tell you what he says. There we go. History is the process of world religions competing against each other for verification of their truth claims on the world stage. Well, what, what does that mean? It means that as history marches forward, the truth claims or faith claims of each religion are being debated and tested and verified or proved as false. And here's how I, I, you can know this is true. How many of you lately have seen a temple to the sun god Ra? Okay, good. Yeah, not one, right? Or how many of you find a whole lot of temples to Zeus, other than like bars or this kind of thing? Okay, anybody lately gone and checked out the temple of Ahura Mazda? You're like, who is that? That's the Persian or Babylonian god. Of course not. Why not? Because the truth claims of these religions have been proved as being false. And yet for 2,000 years, despite all of our mismanagement and our best opportunities to screw this thing called the church up, we're still here. That's got to be proof that God exists. 
and that Jesus' radical claim, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, is true. And so this book we're reading uh, throughout this Lenten series called Tactics is written by Greg Kokel. And he says, when you come up against folks who would challenge the, the truth claims of Christianity, your job isn't to convert them, which I don't know about you, that takes a whole lot of pressure off. I mean, only the Holy Spirit can convert somebody, right? Your job isn't to convert them. Your job is to put a stone in their shoe, to give them something to think about as they walk through life. And eventually, the goal is for that stone to cause enough disruption that they'll stop, take off the shoe, and go, hmm, how did this thing get here? And so if you think about the truth claims of other world religions, every single one of them has one. If you were to look at Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or or whatever, they've all got their own sets of truth claims. It just seems to be that as of late, Christianities have come under fire. But every world religion has their own truth claims. In fact, there are cultural ones now that have their own truth claims like atheism or agnosticism or tolerance or I'm spiritual or all, all these kinds of things. And here's the thing, friends. The new go-to for Christian people seems to be when asked or told Christianity isn't better than any other religion, Jesus told us to love everybody, or all religions point us to God, our go-to has somehow become silence. Why? I mean, we say nothing. Look, nobody's saying here you've got to be mean or rotten or nasty or stand up with a sandwich board kind of thing on the street corner. That, that doesn't help. Nobody's saying grab a bullhorn and start yelling at people. I just want to ask the question, why do we say nothing? And I suspect as you're thinking about that, the, the answers are something like, I fear saying the wrong thing. I worry I'm going to lead them in the wrong direction. I'm not sure enough of what I believe. Or... I don't want to be branded as hateful or intolerant or judgmental. Am I close? Okay. So then here's the thing. If that's how you feel, then how about we not act that way? I mean, what would thoughtful Christian engagement look like from people who actually love their neighbor as themselves, but rather than sitting there silent they decided to engage in a thoughtful conversation. Here's the question I'm asking. Do you really believe this? Are you smoking what you're selling? (laughs) And what I want you to recognize is you don't have to make statements. In fact, statements aren't helpful. What you can do is ask questions. Because questions help people clarify and add depth, and they, they thicken the conversation. And what Kokel says in his book is this, when, when somebody makes a, a radical claim like this against what it is that you believe, you've got about 10 seconds to put a stone in their shoe and ask a question. Tell me why you believe that. Why is that important to you? Help me understand, what do you know about other world religions? What do you know about Christianity? What's your experience been? What is it that's brought you to say that? Do you know what it is that Jesus has said about that kind of thing? What do you have in mind here? And these questions are a whole lot like a roll of lifesavers. You just want to peel one and offer one to your family, or one to your friend, or one to your neighbor, or one to your coworker. Hey, let's talk about that. 
You know, maybe we should stop to consider this morning is that the reason Christianity has tend to come under attack, especially over the last 50 years or so, is it's actually worth believing. You're stopped to consider that. And the thing that we've got to grapple with and begin to grasp for when it comes to the things of God is, is, is ultimately this. Do we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and are we really grasping for him? I mean, if, if belief is really giving yourself over to God, is that what's happening in your life? Or do you just give pieces away? If you really believe that this is true and you believe that the words of Jesus are true, when's the last time you've had a spiritual conversation with someone? If you really believe that this is true and, and you believe that the things that Jesus is true, why don't we live like it? And why have we put other ideologies and our politics and the desire for relevance and all these things in front of what matters most? Because I think what God's desire is is really clear when Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Uh, in a culture that's spinning everywhere, he's saying, stop and start grasping for me and teach other people to do the same thing. You know, here's, here's what I believe, church. I believe our greatest days are ahead. I believe there's great clarity about who we are and what we believe. And now it's time to begin some great invitations. Come and see. Check it out. Let's talk. Have you considered? What about? Help me understand why you think that. And the thing is, is God wants to use you. One of my favorite moments in life was my grandfather who stayed away from the church for years. He got to the, uh, near the end of his life and uh, he started to lose his mental faculties. He died of Alzheimer's. And we sat down and we kind of hemmed and hawed and I said, here's the deal. I called him Buster. We didn't do grandma or grandpa. We did Buster. I said, here's the thing, Buster. I'm not going to heaven without you. And he sat, and he thought for a minute, and he smiled. And in that moment, he came to his own conversion. One conversation can change somebody's life. What's the conversation you're going to have this week? If you believe the things Jesus said are true, I'm sorry, church. It's time that we've got to start doing something with them. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us the Son.
who is the way, the truth, and the life. And you invite us to abundant life in and through him. And Jesus, we pray today that you'd forgive us. Forgive us for saying little or nothing when you've left the message of eternity and of hope in our hands. And Lord, we pray that by your, your spirit, you'd empower us to start having conversations, to start asking questions, to change the mindset that Christians are just mean-spirited people. Help us, God, love people the way that you love them and invite them into a way of life that changes everything. We thank you that you invite us to this table today. And I remind you that Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Let's take a moment and spend some time with the Lord.